Good morning. How are you doing this morning? It's Resurrection Sunday, people. We got reason to celebrate. We got so much behind us and so much to look forward to. I'm so thankful to be here. This is our third service, and every one of them has been amazing. And I just keep on thinking, if I get one more service, I'm just going to be a, a puddle of tears. But I held it together before I got up here, but I know that the, it's just a powerful day where we celebrate the res- resurrection of our Lord. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you kind of know how we do things. We open up a, a book of the Bible, and we just start studying it. And we ask God to reveal himself to us, and he typically just does incredible things in our life. Last week, we were looking at the three trials of Jesus, and it was just so powerful to see uh, what the Lord was doing. If, if you've been with us for a while, you know we've studied, we've been walking with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. And we've been in position of being eyewitnesses of all that happened on that journey. And that's what Luke said he wanted to do in his gospel. He said, I'm going to talk to all the eyewitnesses. I'm going to investigate this for myself. See, Luke is, is a medical doctor. And he said, I want to make sure I really know that all this is true. And he investigated it. He talked to firsthand eyewitnesses. He went to the places that these things happened. And he validated all this is true. And he said, I've written this down and I've laid it out for you in chronological order because I want you to know with certainty that what you, what you believe in the Christian message, the gospel, is true. And what we saw last week was... The people who cheered for Jesus as he arrived in Jerusalem were the very same people that were yelling, crucify him. And we kept asking the question, why in the world is this happening? Because if you read it for yourself, you see that it was, it was strange because everybody that was investigating him just kept saying he's innocent. I mean, I've looked into it. I, I see your charges, but I find no guilt in him. I find no reason to crucify him. I want to release him, Pilate said. Herod looked at him and had every reason to say, yeah, he's guilty. But he even himself has, has said, no, I, I don't see anything. He sent him back to Pilate. And Pilate said to the, to the crowd that was cheering, crucify him. I just don't see any reason why. Let me just punish him and let him go. And yet they crucified him. And so we just kept asking the question, why? Why, why? why was Jesus crucified? And there was actually several answers to that question. One question is because some evil men made it happen. I mean, they made sure that he was crucified. They hung him on a cross. But another answer is what Jesus gave before he went to the cross, before he was betrayed. He had supper with his closest disciples, and he said, let me tell you what's about to go down. He said, the scriptures are about to be fulfilled. Everything that the scriptures said would happen is about to happen. So get ready. And immediately he was betrayed. He was put on trial. It was a sham trial. Found guilty. When everyone, even the, cru- even the judges were like, he's innocent. But then he was crucified. So that's one answer. But then you saw an answer where we related with Barabbas in the scene. The very last words before we get to this text was, give us Barabbas. It's, who is Barabbas? And Barabbas is the one they said, well, he's the guilty one. He's the one guilty of insurrection. He's the one guilty of murder. Let him go and crucify the innocent Messiah. And we said, that's why. Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. It was God's plan that the innocent Messiah, the the God-man, 
would be crucified in order to let people like me, the guilty sinners, free. That's why Jesus was crucified. He was crucified to fulfill the scriptures. He was crucified to let us free. And then we get to this text today that's already been read so beautifully in our time of worship. And we see Luke continuing the story where they went to the tomb, they found it was empty. And, and it was so interesting what Luke records. Because remember, Luke is trying to let us get little snapshots of what was going on so we get the point. And he said, the angel said to the ladies who had shown up at the tomb, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember what he told you? He told you this was going to happen. Remember what he told you. While you were still in Galilee, he told you things, these things, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day, rise. That's exactly what he said would happen. And then it says in verse 8, and then they remembered. Oh yeah, that's right. That is what he told us. And so the ladies returning from the tomb, they all... All, told all these things to all the rest of the disciples. And it says in verse 11, sadly, they, the disciples, now who are the disciples? They're the ones that have been walking with Jesus. They're the ones that left their fishing trade. They left their successful business. They've seen him do these miracles. They've seen him get a man who's been crippled his whole life. They stand up and walk. They've seen demon-possessed men that were freaked out. And he says, demons be gone and they're healed. They've seen sick people be healed, demon-possessed, rebuke the demons, and they're gone. They've seen him raise men from the dead, raise children from the dead. And they knew there was something about him, and they've been following him. And then when they are been, and they've been told everything, he's going to die, bury, and raise again. And then the ladies come say, he's alive, and it says in verse 11, but it seemed to them to be an idle tale. And did not believe them. But Peter jumped up, ran to the tomb. Let me see this for myself. And he saw the linen clothes sitting there with nobody. And he went home marveling at what happened. They did not believe. I wonder how many of us are there today. Now I know most, most everybody here would say, well, I believe. Yeah, but how's your faith right now? We've been through a lot, y'all. I mean, a lot. We've seen what the Bible calls plague. We've seen a plague come across the world. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people have died. Everyone's been touched by this. And there's no telling what personal tragedy you've been through this year. No, no telling what kind of crisis you're dealing with right now. What kind of news you've, you're, you're wrestling with? What kind of relational struggles and strife that is just paining your heart today? And maybe you're here today and you're in desperate need of some hope. Of some, some turning something that will turn the sadness to joy. That's exactly where Luke takes us next. If you're here today, my prayer is that, that the Lord, I've been praying, we've been praying for weeks that the Spirit of God would encourage your hearts and turn it from sadness to joy as you embrace the truth of the resurrection. Father, please meet us here this morning.
as you already have been. You've already encouraged my faith, my heart, lifted me up above the mire of this life and reminded me of the glories that you show us in Christ. Open our eyes to embrace the resurrected Savior. Turn our sadness into joy. We ask this in Jesus, our resurrected Savior's name. Amen. All right, we're going to continue reading the story that Luke has been recording for us. And we find two men, two of those disciples, who heard their claims and they're like, eh, not sure about all this. Sounds like an idle tale to me. And they leave Jerusalem where all the crucifixion went down and they're heading seven miles down the road to a town called Emmaus. So we're looking at the disciples in verse 13. It says, that very day. This is the first Easter service, first Easter Sunday morning. This is Resurrection Sunday, the first one. These two dudes are walking down a trail, heading to Emmaus, and the two of them are talking. These are the two that don't believe, and so we know what they're saying. They're saying, can you believe those ladies? Seriously? Really? Angels appeared to you? Angels told you that he has risen from the grave? They were discussing together what was going on as they walked to Jerusalem, talking to each other about the events of the day. And then verse 15, while they were talking about not believing about Jesus' resurrection, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus himself, drew near and went with them. What's up, guys? <laughs> They're like, yeah, you're crazy. This has been some crazy times. Yeah, I know. But their eyes were kept from recognizing them. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if Jesus is just like in some different body or for whatever reason. They're just, they were kept from. It may have been their unbelief that kept them from recognizing. All we know right now is it's the tense of this verb is they were kept from recognizing Jesus. And he said to them, so what you talking about? What's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they, listen to what Luke says, and they stood still looking sad. Isn't that interesting? All the things he could have told us. He says, I want you to see something here. He's told us basically two things about these guys. Number one, they didn't believe. And number two, they're really sad. I would invite you to consider the connection here. Unbelief and sadness. They were walking from Jerusalem, trying to digest everything. They're not buying it. Jesus comes to them, says, hey, what are you talking about? They stood and they looked at him and Jesus Luke says, Jesus looked at them and said, they were sad. Well, of course they're sad. Who wouldn't be sad? Our hearts long for a Savior. We want to make sense of the world that we're experiencing. We want to understand why. Why a global plague why so much death and disease and despair? 
We don't understand our own hearts. Why do I have these feelings and these thoughts? Why am I so wicked at times and yet I can go and, and be two different people? I need someone to make sense of this for me. I need someone to just give me a coherent explanation that makes sense, that, that gives me hope, gives me joy, gives me peace in the midst of all of this. The political division and the hatred and the, the blame game and the, no, I just want, give me a president, give me a, a politician, give me a hero, give me someone that's going to give me hope. And when you find someone and you have glimmers of hope and you, maybe it's this one. And then he's dead. Where's the hope? Where's the joy? Of course I'm going to be sad. Of course they're sad. They had pinned all their hopes on this Jesus who they saw. They left everything for him. And now they feel like he's dead? Of course they're going to be sad. Because they've lost hope. They've lost any sense of making sense of the world. Of making sense of their own internal struggles. You see, Jesus' resurrection demonstrates that everything God says in his word is true. And when you read his word, his word makes sense of it all for us. It tells us that God is the creator of all things. He created it all and he orchestrates it and governs it according to his good, perfect will. And that he is still on his throne. That he saw us in our sin and our rebellion and he entered into it. We didn't climb a ladder to him. He descended and condescended down to us in order to enter into our sufferings, our temptations, our trials. And he did it for us so that he could die and take the penalty that I deserve for my wicked sin. Because I'm Barabbas. And you're Barabbas. He died so that we could be set free. And he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave as he said he would. He babe roofed it. He called it. I'm about to do this. And he did it. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he sits on his throne and he is still ruling to this day. You see, the scriptures tell us there is a sovereign God who makes sense of this. And he is still reigning and ruling even over the plagues and over the death and disease and division. And he has a good, glorious purpose in all of it. And he is still working all things together for good. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so he makes sense of it all. And it all is pointing to Jesus. And is he dead or is he not? And if you say he's dead, then you and I are in the same place with these disciples. It is sad, hopeless, dejected, and despair. But if he's alive, everything has hope. That's why. That's why they're sad. Because they have rejected the only hope that is available to humanity. And what I want you to see in verse 15 is what does God do when you are doubting him? I'll tell you what I would do. 
because I'm a sinner. If I would say, wait a minute, I told you I was going to rise from the grave? And I did it, I babe roofed it, I took it out of the park, and you're still going, nah, I don't believe it. I'd say, forget you. You deserve to be sad. I'm a sinner. Praise God, he's not. He's gracious and merciful. Verse 15, in their sadness, because they've rejected the painfully obvious truth that Jesus predicted beforehand would happen, Jesus himself drew near. He drew near. Is that the picture of God you got? Or are you like, oh, I don't even know why I'm in here. I'm sweating. He's mad at me. He hates me. That's not God. He's drawing near. He's drawn you near to him this morning to be here. And he's saying, let me help you believe. Let me help you. Let me stir faith. Let me encourage you. Let's listen in on their conversation in verse 18. He invites them to share what they're talking about. He says, what are y'all talking about? In verse 18, Luke says, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you serious? Where are you from, planet Mars? You've got to be the only human on the planet who does not know what just happened in Jerusalem in these days. In verse 19, and Jesus says, really? What things? What are you talking about? Tell me. Talk to me. Engage. I want to help you. Let me tell you. Jesus wants to help you. God is for you. He's not against you. He came into this earth to save you. He wants you to know him. He wants to encourage our faith. He says, what things? Well, tell me what happened. He's drawing near them. And they told him, okay, well, let me tell you this guy. Just, let me start from the beginning. His name is Jesus. They're talking to Jesus, right? His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. And now I want you to do something. You're in a position to understand whether they are telling the truth or not, if they're getting the story right when they describe what happened. Because we've been walking with them. We've seen the whole story. We've been tracking through every bit of Luke's gospel. And we've seen all of this. So, so they say, well, okay, so Jesus is from Nazareth. And he, he's a prophet. Okay, kind of. They're close. But he's like the prophet. He's like the very word of God, not just a prophet. He's the ultimate prophet. But in their minds, they're like, okay, he was this prophet. And he did mighty deeds we, we saw that. We've seen his miracle after miracle after miracle. Just insane miracles. And his words were mighty. He spoke and preached with an authority that no one had recognized. They said, we've never seen anybody like this. And in that authority, where he had the ability to interpret scriptures and open up the scriptures, he says to them, he reads Isaiah's scroll, he sits down and says, that's me. He says, you're looking at him. I fulfill these scriptures. The scriptures are about the Messiah. I am the Messiah. And they heard it, and they sold it, and they believed it enough to walk away from their careers. And then he says, tells them how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death. That's exactly what they did. They delivered him, just crucify him. We don't care about the facts, just get rid of him, crucify him. They delivered him to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. 
And then listen to these sad, true words here, verse 21. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We, we once had hope. We just, oh, we thought, it was, we thought he was finally the one that was going to make sense of it all and give me hope as I grieve my loved one that has passed. But he's dead. And yeah, and then inside all of this, they continue talking to Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, who they don't recognize yet. Besides all this, it's now the third day. We've waited one day, we've waited two days, and now it's the third day since all these things happened. And then, moreover, get this, these crazy women, they went to the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying, we saw a vision of angels. Are you serious? And the angels said, he was alive. It's so silly. Are you kidding me? This is a wives' tale, literally. And then verse 24. And then one of our guys ran to the tomb, and they found, he, he found it just like they said. What? What's going on? So if I was Jesus, I'd been like, all right, let's get this straight. So everything happened exactly as you were told. And then you didn't believe it. But then Peter ran and verified it and ran to the tomb. And he saw it exactly how the women had told you. And you're not believing it. Exactly. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. So what's the problem? It continues, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They didn't actually see him. You see, they didn't actually see him. Because I asked and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you saw him? Oh, no, no, we didn't see him. He's gone. Oh. But we have angels told us, oh, okay. We want to see him. If you want me to believe in God, then let me tell you what you're going to do, God. You're going to answer to me. In Mark, another gospel, Mark 9, 31, we are told that Jesus was teaching his disciples. And Jesus said to these disciples walking on the road, quote, Jesus said, quote, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. You see, this isn't an information problem. It's not that they didn't know. It's not that they didn't have enough information. They had the entire Old Testament scriptures that said this was going to happen. They had Jesus himself saying this is going to happen. And he told them very clearly this is going to happen. It happened. Witnesses went to the grave, he's gone, and they said, he wasn't there. Angels said, it happened. Remember what Jesus told you would happen? It happened. I came back and told the disciples, I said, it happened. And the disciples said, it didn't happen. And the disciples ran to the tomb, came back and said, it was just what they said. It didn't happen. That's what happened. 
So what's going on? The problem's not an information problem. The facts are crystal clear. The problem is they didn't see. And Luke records this in verse 24. But they did not see him. Okay, so physically they didn't see, but what else? Well, he's already said also in verse 16 that their eyes were kept from seeing him. They were not recognizing Jesus. You see, the problem is they don't see. Do you see what is going on here? There's two different perspectives. One of faith, one of doubt. Luke writes it in a way that seems to be bringing this seeing issue up. They're sad because they don't see with eyes of faith that Jesus is the resurrected one. He is their fulfillment of their hope. He does make sense of the world. And so they're left not seeing and believing. They're left sad and depressed. And so they need to believe. And so we see two truths here about seeing, about believing, about my condition, and about your condition. I am responsible. You are responsible to deal with the facts The evidence is clear. Do you believe them or not? At the same time, we need Jesus' help. We need God's help. He graciously draws near and says, let me help you. So he draws near to them and helps them. But before we look at that, I want to talk about something. What kind of evidence, how much evidence do you need? What's the burden of proof you're putting God into? How much evidence will it take for you to say, okay, I'm in? Is it, is it enough that the scriptures predicted it hundreds of years before with crystal clear certainty? There was a, a math professor who took 600 of his students and did statistical analysis of the odds of Jesus fulfilling the, the prophecy. Now, some count up to 600 prophecies, but let's just go with eight. This morning, my first service, I said, let's go with eight. I was like, I need some more coffee. Let's go with eight. Jesus fulfilled eight crystal clear prophecies written hundreds. I mean, if you want to be irrational, if you want to be irrational and you say, ah, it wasn't prophecy. Okay, well, if you don't believe that, then I don't know what book you could ever believe because there's more evidence to support it than anything else. But let's just put that aside. For right now, let's talk about those eight prophecies. Eight clear prophecies. Jesus fulfilled. Mathematically, what are the odds? They concluded it's 1 times 10 to the 17th power. Now, what I hear when I hear that is, I don't know what that means. It's like 100 million billion, 100 million million billion or something like that. I'm like, okay, help me out here. So the professor said, here's what that's like. Take all of Texas, if you know how big Texas is, and you... Take a silver dollar, take hundreds of hundreds of millions and billions of silver dollars and fill it two feet deep all across the state of Texas. Two feet deep with silver dollars, but on one of them, mark an X and mix it somewhere in those hundreds and hundreds of millions and billions of silver dollars that are covering two feet deep all across the state of Texas and then blindfold one of y'all and say, go and you get one shot. And for you to reach down and go, no. I got it. 
That's the odds of fulfilling the eight prophecies that he fulfilled. Is that enough? Evidence? If not, what burden of proof are you demanding? 100%? Where else in life do you, do, do you demand and get 100% to do anything? Science? No. We may think it is, but ask a scientist or ask a doctor about their studies. It's not 100% certain. They look at the patterns and they get enough to know, okay, there's a consistency here. We can figure this out. It's not 100%. Not we're near 100%. Our criminal justice system? No, we know what they say. We have found the evidence presents... He's guilty beyond a, what, reasonable doubt. What's reasonable doubt? It, it, it's, what are you willing, what is your step of faith? It's going to take a step of faith. You didn't require 100% facts and evidence when you embraced your spouse. Men, let's be real. It was a huge leap of faith for our wives. To embrace us. Now they had less. We, we, we had a lot more. But you get my point. Now one of my daughters just got married recently. And she's a lot like her mama. That if you put it all in a spreadsheet. And it's in black and white. And they can total it up. And say yep it meets the threshold of faith. Okay I believe. And so she was talking about. Well how do I know? I'm telling you this dude. her He's right over there. Don't tell anybody. I'm, I'm talking about. So he's like an awesome son-in-law. And I'm just like. Yeah I don't know how you know. He's the one. He's awesome. And she's like, well, I just need to know. How do you know? And I said, I don't know. You just know. And you got to look for this. She's like, I just need to know. And then she read a book. And some book said, well, if it's, you know, you're not going to always feel perfect about it. But 90 percent's good. She's like, okay, now I know. I got my number, 90%. But it wasn't 100%. And she did the right thing and embraced him. What are, you, what are you demanding from the Lord before you embrace Jesus? I invite you to consider today that to embrace anything else is a massive leap of faith. Way more massive leap of faith than to embrace Jesus. You're going to have to take a step of faith. To either believe or unbelieve. And I'm just telling you, this makes sense of the world. This restores my soul. This gives me hope. This has answers. The resurrection, if you embrace it, means that all of God's word is true. Read the word of God. God answers the most important questions of our heart. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. Amen? So Jesus gives us the key to believing and embracing him. And we find it in verse 25. He said to them, oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. Now in the Bible the word fool is, says, is the, the fool is the one who says in his heart there is no God. This morning at the first service out at beautiful scenery, Southern Trace by the, the lake at number 8. And there was hot air balloons floating by. It was this picturesque. And there was ducks running around. And the water was there and the birds were floating. And it was just gorgeous. And it was so easy to turn and say, look at this. You really think there's not a God who created this? And is it not reasonable to think that if there is a God 
who created all this for you, that he has a plan and a purpose, and then he revealed in a word to us some of the answers to help us see him in this? Is it really unreasonable to, to embrace this message? And if not, then what, what do you have? What evidence do you have to support what you're believing? He says, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. I am guilty of that, Lord. Forgive me. To believe what? To believe all the prophets that came and spoke their, their message that turned to Christ. And was it not necessary when you read the Old Testament, you see the condition of man, was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and then to resurrect and enter into his glory where he sits now and reigns and then what what luke says jesus did this is an amazing verse jesus took the old testament scriptures beginning with moses that's the first five books of your old testament and the prophets that was a way they referred to their whole old testament moses and the prophets that's so they took he took the old testament scriptures the sacred writings and he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself he said it's all about me it's all been about this week it's all been pointing you to this day if you embrace the resurrected savior our lord and savior jesus christ the scriptures come open for you and it rocks your world and you start to see oh it makes sense Oh, I have hope. I have a king. I have a ruler. He is bringing restoration. It's not now, but the Bible makes it clear. He's coming back. Next week, we're studying his return. There's the who, the where, and the when of, the res- of his return. That was an aside that y'all come back next week. He tells us what's going on. He's coming back. He's going to make sense of it all. You can embrace this Messiah. There's enough evidence, well beyond a reasonable doubt, that you can have faith in him. And the scriptures, him fulfilling the scriptures, is the key. This is what Jesus explained to them on the road that day. And then look what happened, beginning in verse 28. As Jesus opened their mind to see the scriptures, to see Jesus as the fulfillment of the scriptures. It says, so they drew near the village where they were going. He, Jesus, I love this part. He acted like he was going to keep on going. Okay, guys, enjoy the talk. See ya, I'm leaving, I'm going now. And they're like, he's like, do you want to hear more? Are you interested? Now that you've seen how I fill the scriptures, that's where we are right now. Do you want to hear more? Do you want to know about Jesus? He says, he pretends he's going to go on, but they urged him strongly, praise the Lord. They urged him saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Stay with us for a minute. For it's towards evening, the day is far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with him. He didn't say, nope, you had your chance. He said, good. He came in. He spent some time with him. When he was at the table with him, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to them. There's just something powerful about sharing bread together, people. It says he did that. And then verse 31, and their eyes were opened. Praise the Lord. And they recognized him. They said, oh, this is Jesus. We've been talking to Jesus this whole time. 
He really is alive. And then poof, he's gone. And they started saying to each other, can't you just imagine their minds are exploding? Did not our hearts burn within us while, we, while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures and he started showing us how the Old Testament sacrificial system of the need for, for blood and, and that the unblemished lamb walks in on, on the day of atonement, the priest brings that unblemished lamb, he slays it and he puts his, the priest puts his hand on a goat and they escape. And so Jesus is the unblemished lamb. He is the, the very word and temple of God and And he was sacrificed to take away our sins. He is the Messiah. He was crucified just as he said. He was buried just as he said. He rose from the grave just as he said. He fulfills all the scriptures. Our hearts are burning with us. Oh, I pray, God, your heart... Your, your spirit is burning within our hearts that you are burning off calluses of unbelief that builds up in our hearts. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for the times that I doubt you. Burn our hearts, Lord. You've opened our eyes to see the evidence. And then what they do in verse 33, they rose that same hour and they ran back to Jerusalem and they found the, the eleven. And those who were with them, and they gathered together like we are here today saying, The Lord has risen indeed. And he's appeared to Simon. And then they told, let me tell you what happened on the road. He opened our eyes. We have seen the resurrected Savior. He broke bread with us. He ate with us. And they believed. And their hearts were filled with joy. It melted away the pain and the anguish for just that moment, which is a reminder that there's going to be a perfect day of rejoicing one day. You know, there was one named Thomas that we know him as Doubting Thomas. And he doubted, said, I'm not believing this until I see his hands. I want to touch his scars. How many times have I been like that? And what did Jesus do? He came to him. He said, all right, go ahead, touch him. I'm going to slap you in the face, but touch him. (laughs) And then he says this to Thomas about you and about me. He says, Thomas, if you believe because you've seen me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's me. Is that you? Is that you? I'm so blessed to believe Jesus and I have never seen him. I didn't get to touch his scars, but I see him in the scriptures and it is so real. My prayer is the Lord opens your heart today. Would you stand with me as I read Psalm and I invite you to make this your prayer. Hear us, O Lord. Be merciful to us. Oh, Lord, be our helper. Lord, you have turned our mourning into dancing. You have loosened our sackcloth. You've clothed us with gladness that our glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, our Lord God, we will give you thanks forever and ever. The Lord has risen indeed.